You know what? I'm wrong. I understand why I'm, you think I was wrong because I'm, I'm so often wrong, I'm wrong and I've been wrong already once in this very quiz. So I understand. Here's Deli Alley. Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it! Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. Except this week, we've got a special treat for you because we don't just have one Dave. We've actually got two Daves, and I'm really excited to announce the return of a long absentee guest who hasn't been here for quite a few episodes now, and that is the other Dave, Pricey, David Price, who I'll introduce in just a second, whose last appearance on the Plus Day podcast was actually the day after we had sacked Nuno and just as we were about to hire Conte. So very keen to hear his thoughts on the regime so far. And joining us as well, of course, is Elio, as always, who makes it another consecutive episode, although I imagine this is one where he would particularly rather be doing anything else, given how our game has just gone. We will be, of course, talking about the Brighton home game, which was terrible in all, all ways possible. And we're going to be looking ahead to the rest of the season and all things Spurs, as usual. So we hope you enjoy the show. So first of all, as always, let me come to you, Leeds Dave, as you will have to be known for this episode. Welcome. I, I heard that you actually watched our highlights. I can't imagine there were many highlights to speak of. But yeah, I thought um, about, but yeah how did you find that? Yeah, yeah. That, thanks, for, thanks for having me again. Uh, I thought about what, uh, not bothering with the highlights after looking at the score and yeah. listening to the... Uh, the WhatsApp group uh, yesterday, and I thought it would be nice for Elio to just take us through it minute by minute, but uh, I don't want to do that to him. So I did. Uh, I did have the chance to watch the three minutes of highlights in uh, in, in, in air quotes. Air quotes. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a shame. Uh, no manager of the month for for Conte, I fear now. Yeah, you might have jinxed that one. Well, I must have been. I didn't watch any yeah, highlights yeah, it's my myself. Fault. I was at the game, but I I can't imagine they could have really stretched together any highlights. Elio, have you watched the highlights of our game? What game? You mean last week's <laughs> win? You I'm mean, <laughs> oh, sorry, we're, we're already into denial stage. Okay, fine. Yeah, we did consider just going straight into another review of the Villa game and pretending this didn't happen, which given the Arsenal result, we could just quite realistically say it didn't happen because it might as well not have happened. But we'll, we'll get onto that later on anyway. And Pricey, the second day on the show. Welcome back after a long absence. How are you doing today? <clears throat> Thank you. Doing well. It's good to be back. Um, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, raising a small human takes up a lot of time. So, Price, since you were last on the show, you and your wife have, of course, brought another Spurs fan into the world. So, a big congratulations from all of us on that. Um, how is the indoctrination process going so far? Yeah, it's going well. He's already um, watched a number of games. He's bought some yeah. good, um, some very good luck. He's he's got his first Spurs kit. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he's doing well. He's uh, he's not long until he's on the podcast, I think, and he's probably got more. I think so. Than Elio. <laughs> he um he had a good start, didn't he? Well, am I right in thinking that his first game was the Man City win? Well, no, he was born. He was born the day before we lost to Wolves. Oh dear! But then followed it up with the City win. So that's look. We'll oh. we'll take that. We'll go with that. Oh well, I I went to the effort of working out his win percentage, but I didn't take that into account. So it's probably slightly lower than this. But I had him at seventy two point seven percent wins after that. But it's obviously slightly <laughs> lower. But it's still better than you know most of us, I imagine. All of us. Without is fail. It, is it, is it as good down. as Ryan Mason? I think Ryan Mason's got <laughs> It's probably comparable, yeah, I would yeah. say so. But uh, congratulations, and um, I'm sure you're Thank looking you. forward to continuing the indoctrination over the years. It's interesting. I mean, I imagine having kids changes your viewpoint on pretty much everything, but Spurs, I guess, is no exception. You probably must start thinking about at what age he's going to start taking an interest in caring and, and sort of which players might still be at Spurs when he's old enough to kind of know what's going on and be supporting them and going to games and stuff. Because we've got some young players that it's not ridiculous to think in 10 years, nine years, whatever, could still be with us. 
Have you thought that far ahead, or are you just trying to get some sleep? Oh, when 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 you're this sleep deprived, you take every every day, every as, as Dave was talking about before, you take every 15 minutes yeah. as they come. To be honest, but um, no, it's, it's an interesting one actually. We've we've got some really good kind of young talent. I mean, we've all been sharing. Um, some of the the stuff that Troy Parrott's been up to over the last few weeks and, and looking really exciting out on loan. So yeah, that's what's not to say that in ten years' time um, Troy he'll show. be idolising. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very good. Well, we, we normally end the show with a little look at how the rest of the season could look. Maybe we could do a little quick where will Spurs be in ten years thing by the end of uh, of this episode, just for a bit of fun. Uh, and Elio, I've patiently left you to last. Just sitting there, having you haven't had the best weekend. I know. I know that Spurs have tested you this season. Did yesterday surprise you? Because we were on a good run. How are you feeling right now? Yesterday did surprise me. I mean, I think that Brighton was always a game where there was the potential for us to have our banana skin moment because of the relatively kind run-in we we have this month. They're the ones with um, sort of the most identity about the way they play, the most sort of purpose with how they impose themselves on any mm. opposition sides, much more so than than Villa or Newcastle uh, or any of these other teams that we've had in our recent winning streak. So it was always a tricky one, and I alluded to as much last week. But at the same time, I did also say that it would be disappointing if we didn't win at home to Brighton. And here I am on uh, uh, the, the day after the event, roughly, 24 hours now since the final whistle went and I am disappointed it's not so much the fact that we lost it it's the manner of how we lost we 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 seemed to man for man get everything wrong for 90 minutes that that mm. uh, includes um all 11 that started that includes the people that came on that includes the guy that made the decisions I feel like it was just a collectively poor show from anybody attached to THFC yesterday bar um, the supporters who actually weren't the very best either uh, given that they booed the team off at half time at nil nil so mm. so yeah I, 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 I to tell you the truth um, I, I, I didn't feel like uh, it was worth the mileage I put in yesterday totally understandable pricey we'll, we'll come back to get your thoughts on the uh, the Spurs Conte era as a whole but just looking yesterday first of all Thank you for that being the game you decided to give me from your season ticket for me to go to. Really appreciate that. Uh, by One the of... way, weren't your last two games, Chelsea and Watford, which were probably two of the only performances this season that were worse than yesterday's? Yep. Yeah, well, I was about to say I am probably a curse. And as things stand, I do have a ticket for the Arsenal game. So I'm strongly considering giving that one back to Pricey or to someone else, someone more deserving, someone who's proved not to be a curse. But we'll, we'll get on to that. But yeah, thank you for that. That's one of, one of a couple of good decisions you, you made at the weekend, giving me your ticket. The other one, of course, being not captaining any of our Spurs players in your FPL team. Probably reason that you are running away with our mini league. You watched the game, though. I did, yeah. Um, and, is there uh, anything we... good to say about it? Or is it just um, an irredeemable disaster? No, look, it's, it's, it's a complete blip in terms of the recent yeah. results that we've had. It was weirdly reminiscent, actually, of, of going back to some of the performances under Nuno, where we yeah. had no, no shots on target. Play lack of creativity. It just didn't work for whatever reason. I, I don't necessarily know if there's a definitive answer as to why it didn't work. Um, look, Brighton after the Arsenal game. I think they 
they worked for it. They they were on us all the time. It would be easy for us to sit here and say that they arguably could have had a red card in the first half. Mwepu could have had a couple of bookings. Um, we could have had one as well. Kulisevsky could have could have quite easily gone for the elbow. So, look, I, we, we deserved everything we got, really. I think we've just yeah. got to put it behind us and, and you know, kind of onwards and upwards to the next. Absolutely. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we, we are talking about a playing field that is 11 blokes against 11 blokes and Brighton have a say in the outcome too. We've played Brighton three times now this season and even though we've won two and lost one, we've been the worst side in two and the better side in one. Brighton are a good side. They've gone away and taken points from a lot of the teams near the top of the table, including obviously Arsenal, I believe uh, Chelsea as well. I think Liverpool, they, they, they might have got a point at Anfield's too. Uh, I mean, I don't mm. think Manchester City are blowing them away in a few days either. So so they, they clearly do what they do very, very well and very commendable as well, considering the limited resources that have been put into that. So as much as I will go studs up on pretty much everything Spurs did and didn't do yesterday when, when we discuss it in more depth, you also have to credit the other team on the pitch for how well they played. And they they did actually come in and uh, play the game on their terms, not on ours, which not a lot of teams do to us uh, lately. And 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 that was evident in in, in many aspects, which uh, I'm sure we're going to drill into. Elliot, when I, when I prepare these episodes, I'd like to do an agenda with an approximate time allocation. And I, I've put down a 15-minute slot for an uninterrupted Elio rants tearing into every single player individually. Do you think that's going to be enough time for you? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to tear into every single <laughs> player individually. They don't deserve that. So, I mean, out of uh, out of our last uh, eight games, we've won six in in the league. Mm. So, I, I I definitely don't think that a bad day at the office deserves them to be torn to shreds as if they hadn't built up any kind of credit in the bank. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. Honestly speaking, yep. it, it, it there's a lot to say about how wrong it did go yesterday. Had we recorded at four o'clock yesterday, it might have been a different story. Well, yeah, <laughs> quite. Uh, Dave, you didn't watch the game, so I'm slightly jealous of you for that. But you did watch the inverted commas highlights. From what you've seen, what happened? Is there any explanation for how players that were so good for so many games in a row just were suddenly so terrible across the board? What is this football sport we all love so much and why does it do this to us well that's the this is isn't that the reason that we love it and the reason that we Mm. always turn up is because something like this could happen uh ultimately Mm. brighton you know we we as a as a collective but especially you guys were not sure in laughing at arsenal uh for for getting beat by these guys and not publicly you know that that well yeah that's true Brighton are a decent team. They only win nine games a season, and this was their ninth win. So I, I, I think they might get steamrolled by Man City. To be honest, on Wednesday, they obviously came with a with a good plan, and they're well drilled and well managed. I don't know. It's not as if other teams that you've played and you've beaten haven't been well drilled and well managed. It's just you've found a way. But this was the one time in the last six games where you mm. didn't find a way, and that's the difference between top two and the rest. It is the difference between top two and the rest. And I think the other difference between top two and the rest is that their plan A's almost never fail. And the rest, their plan A's do. They and have that's a plan when they B. Need to call, 
they have a plan B, they have a plan C even. And mm. recent games, one of the things I've applauded about us is that we have had beyond the plan A when we haven't been able to play through the press. We have gone long to Kane and uh, he's headed it on through to Kulisevsky and Son. When that hasn't been the one, we have got the ball wide and played crosses into the box. We've had a really varied attack. The thing about yesterday was that we still tried every variation that we have been. But whatever we did try... Brighton had a really, really good answer for it. When we went long to flick something through for Son to run onto, he had someone absolutely glued to him, knowing exactly where he was going to run. They clearly studied the way we attack in some real depth, or at least Potter did, and translated those instructions really, really well, because Son didn't get an inch out of any of his runs. And this wasn't with Brighton playing deep. They played their usual high line. They just really, really paid attention and concentrated on every little sinew of the match. Harry Kane, when he was tempted to drift off, always had someone absolutely glued to him as he couldn't swivel on the ball and play those passes that he's so, so, so wonderful at playing and has been tearing teams apart with for the past few weeks. When we wanted to play out of their back, their press was absolutely ferocious mm. and not in that Aston Villa dirty way. It was actually no. good, effective, clean press. Uh, when we got the ball wide, whenever we had one player out on the flag receiving the ball, they had two on him straight away it's like they predicted every single thing we were going to do at every single point in the match and and that's usually what Conte does to opposition managers so Conte mm. got Conte quite frankly and uh, <laughs> well done Graham Potter because it rattled us and we ended up playing sloppy passes we ended up leaving gaps in behind we ended up making mistakes and we we ended up uh, losing confidence as the game wore on and when Brighton had probably the only actual clear chance of the match, they took it and they deserve the win. Price, you do agree with that. Do you think we have to give some credit to Brighton and the way they played and nullified us? Or do you think it was mainly a case of our players just not being up to scratch? Yeah, t- totally. I think Elliot spot on. Their press, particularly in the first half, was ferocious mm. and, and they were all, all over us and closing us down really quickly. And we, in a way, we reverted to type in terms of the second half against Villa, where we started playing long balls over the top. Um, to effectively kind of play over that press, but it didn't work to Elliot's point there. They were man-marking Son and Kane within an inch of their life. So there's a lot of credit due to to Brighton for the way they set up and the way they played. But I felt that we just lacked, we lacked a plan B and a plan C um, yesterday. We we were too one-dimensional in terms of how we were then trying to play out. And I think there were moments Mm. when actually we could have played through the press um, even in the centre of the park. But a lot of the time we tried to go out wide, we got shut down, we'd then go long, nothing was getting past um, Lewis Dunk. Yeah, it was just, um, mm. we, we ran out of ideas and we didn't come up with an idea to then unpick what I guess kind of brightened the throne at us. I, mean, I think what different... I'd say though, I think I think sort of to, to address the lack of sort of alternate plans, how many plans do you want to cycle mm. through? I think I think we did try the strings that we have been trying and, and have been working. I, I don't think it helped that our central midfield yesterday, particularly Benson Kerr, really, really didn't get to grips with the game. Basuma made them absolutely his puppets, essentially. He he ragdolled them the entire match and mm. and he, he's obviously a very, very he good player. He, he, he reminds us of um, our recent great departed uh, central midfielder who, who's finishing up his career in China at the moment. And um, we... We didn't have an answer to that. Benton Kaur and Hoiberg were bouncing off him the entire time. And 
with them actually both playing poorly, the balls that were going into the the front three were were non-existent in terms of quality. And th- this isn't to mitigate their performances because they were poor and I think they, they, they were static and they were making it hard. But there's a bit of chicken and egg about it in the same mm. way that we say, does the runner make the pass look great or does the pass make the runner look great? Yeah. Was the poor service making the front three look bad or was the front three too static and making the, the midfield look bad? It, it It's one of those where you just have to hope it's a blip and they'll get a bit of a rollicking from the manager and they'll dust themselves off, train really hard and in a week's time come out uh, the other side. I guess they, we did try a few different approaches in terms of the range of our passing and the way we should we change things up throughout the course of the game. But our formation was very rigid, as it generally has been under Conte. You made a point yesterday earlier after the game about how we seem to refuse to go to a back four or change things on, during a takeoff of a defender, bring on an attacker. Do you disagree with the substitutions, the changes that he made later in the game? Do you think that maybe we could have taken a bit more of a risk in that regard? I do. I mean, in terms of the personal that came on, all right, winks. But um, <laughs> in terms of Lucas yeah. and, and Bergwijn, their, their games, their players, they were the players to bring on. They're your attacking mm. players. Lucas, I absolutely agreed with him yeah. coming on. Break I felt that, yeah, that's what I wanted from him. I yeah. wanted him to break the press, get the ball, run with it. And he did initially a little bit as mm. well, but, but it petered out fairly early on. But I think where I where I struggled with the subs yesterday is that he just went like for like. And in a game where you've essentially been shown that your your tactic isn't going to work today, I think that's the time where you have to have a bit of a trump card that you don't usually do and shift away from the norm and try something else. Kane, at the end of the day, was um, was essentially being marked by... They, they were man for man. They had three centre-backs to our three forwards. We didn't mm. re- really have wing-backs on the pitch with, with Doherty obviously being out for, for the season. So, so we couldn't overload them the way we have been overloading teams. And I think mm. getting on a fourth attacker at the expense of one of our centre-backs was the only way to go. You may think, well, he probably looked at it and thought, if we're not going to get um, the win, then a point won't be the end of the world. But as far as I'm concerned, that that's the sort of attitude that ends up with you conceding a late winner when you end mm. up sort of settling for 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 second prize. Um, so so I, I do think, and it's obviously very hard to criticise him given how well he's done for us so far and how much he's turned things around. But I do think his rigidity and refusal to go away from three four three was was a mistake yesterday. I think ultimately we suffered because. Brighton kept getting more and more confidence as a result of not really having to worry about defending because they had the measure of us. So if we had the extra attacker on the pitch and gone for it, then the ball would have been played in those final 20 minutes in the part of the pitch that we wanted it to, not them. And the goal they scored was coming. They deserved it. They'd been pushing for it. Dave, where do you stand on this whole thing? Because it's an interesting debate in football generally, but when it comes to changing your system or changing your typical approach, I think a lot of the top managers historically have been criticised for being too rigid and staying with what they believe is their kind of dogmatic, the right way that they play, their style that they want to impose on the opposition. At what point do you think you need to say, this isn't working, throw it out, let's do something different? And do you do you ever agree with sort of approaching a game in a different way with a different team, different setup or formation when it comes to a specific opposition? Yeah, and that's well, a tricky question. I mean, bearing in mind what we have recently had up until uh, a few weeks ago at Leeds was very well known as being plan A and plan yeah. B is do plan A harder. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There was no there was no plan B. It was just be better at plan A. 
and ultimately, you know, it wasn't the only reason, but it was certainly a contributing factor as to why ultimately the results didn't continue to be as positive as they were last season as they were this season. There were other factors, but that was definitely a factor. I think I think having multiple tactics that you can just go, okay, and switch and switch, it's it, it that that doesn't work either. You know, mm. being a being a, a believer in multiple faiths means that you believe in nothing. Uh, whereas having a, an understanding of this is the way that we should play, but then slightly nuanced changes on a on a mm. on a opposition by opposition basis, but also on a who's available to us on on a week by week basis makes the most sense. Mm. I mean, that's 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 what I saw in in Conte's previous games when the change at halftime forced them to maybe go a bit longer. That's not a that's not you know they have, they didn't just become Burnley. They they yeah. just they just yeah. they, they saw their strength and at the same time a potential for it to be a weakness of the other team and that's all you have mm. to do you, you just have to look at each of the each of the teams that goes have your way of playing but don't be too scared to change it and I think that was really interesting what you said earlier in terms of the substitutions whether it was like for like and and it was interesting that you, they were, you were essentially substituting off the signings that have been so positive and substituting mm. on the people that had been derided so much uh, because mm. we needed the signings. And, and, that's, and that's almost telling you something else as well, isn't it, about what you've got and what you need maybe in the summer. Absolutely. And I think, I think you're absolutely right in that. I, I really like that metaphor, believer in uh, multiple faiths is a believer of none. I thought, that, thought that's actually uh, quite fitting for this. And, mm. and I wouldn't propose to rip up the book in terms of what you start a match with in the slightest, or even rip it up at half time, because as we've seen against Villa, against Newcastle, mm. we've had that half time situation where we've not played to our very best and come out and blown the opposition away second half with minor in game tweaks. But when you get to the 60th, the 65th minute, and that tactic is just not working you've tried the variations you've tried the tweak and it's still not working surely that's the point where you think okay we're at home to Brighton we're in this race with Arsenal a point won't really do much for us let's give them something that they're not expecting it's it's not as if these guys have never played with a back four and a front four before four two three one has been the main formation we've been using for the past eight years since Pochettino took over so it's not as if it would have been foreign territory to take off Reguilon shift Davies across to left back and put Lucas in the front four in fact we have done that this season when we've needed so I think Leicester away was one time where we abandoned the back three and went to uh, a, a more traditional sort of 4-2-3-1 and, and ended up turning a game around with late pressure so I guess there are in my opinion there are occasions where being open to someone else's faith might teach you something there we go we're getting very poetic over here i like it um pricey if you could go back in time and take control of that spurs game from the start again is there anything you think we could do differently i mean it's easy to look at it in hindsight because i think most people saw the line the lineup and thought yeah that team's been doing well no reason to think they won't do well again don't change a winning team etc obviously doherty's out can't do anything about that uh, do you think there's any different kind of approach we could have done? Anything we could have done to nullify the threats that Bryson posed or to maybe play a bit differently? Or do you think there is a kind of a plan B that would work against that kind of opposition that we could have considered sooner? Yeah, no, players I, or formation? I, I fully support what Conte is doing around building consistency in the squad. It's not something yeah. we've had for a long time because we've had a couple of managers whereby they've loved to rotate when we've not had the depth to rotate. But by starting the same 11 week in, week out, it's giving us that um, 
consistency and that confidence in the squad that they can go in and they can win week in, week out. So I wouldn't change how he started the game. Ultimately, it's a real shame that Doherty, um, you know, has, uh, uh, I guess, kind of, you know, he's, he's out for the rest of the season. Mm. He's just kind of starting to find that turn of form. Would we have liked to have seen Sessegnon? Let Sessegnon was also in a really good vein of form before he got injured um, over Regalon. I guess Regalon's a bit of a safer, safer bet. But no, look, I, 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 hindsight, as you say, is a wonderful thing. I, I'd go back to agreeing with Elio. And I think when it comes to that 60, 65 minute mark, we're still, we've not managed to get. I remember I was, I was looking at the odds, live odds on the game. And you could get, I think about 1.5, you could get basically six to four on yeah. for a shot on target for the next 10 minute period wow. from like 65 to 75 that tells you how yeah. dire the game was at that point so yeah i think something needed to change and and agree with elio the one thing i've been saying actually for a couple of weeks is i'd like to see more of bergvine i think we rely on bergvine mm. too late in the game um yeah he's been in real hot form for holland when he's been playing in the internationals he's been i, I i've really liked his energy his drive his creativity when he's come on mm. that would be the one thing i would have liked to have seen earlier i think is, is bergwijn yeah, he actually had a chance. I absolutely agree with you on, on that. Uh, he, he, yeah, he did, the left-footed one, didn't he? And uh, no, his chance was actually to equalise, I think, after we'd conceded the left-footed shot. I think he just scuffed it past the post. But I think that's a really good point, Pricey. I think Bergwijn coming on in the 85th minute in that game was, I'd go as far as to say, unacceptable. Because what message mm. are you sending out if this guy who keeps coming on and doing well, has scored a few goals for us recently, gone away for his country and done really well. What message are you sending if the guy who is taking his chances is having to wait till the 85th minute in a game that you want to win and your three forwards are all playing like absolute muck? I mean, mm. it can't be doing wonders for his confidence. He, he's training hard. He's He's been praised by Conte for his attitude. So, And we know Conte doesn't uh, BS the media in the slightest. If, if he wants hmm. to call someone out for being a lazy sod, then he will. So if yeah. Bergwijn is, for all intents and purposes, doing everything right, coming on, winning us the game against Leicester, scoring a good goal against Newcastle the other day, and it's the 85th minute Kane, Son and Kulusevski between them haven't mustered one shot on target in fact I don't think we had the ball even in the box at any point it was like those Nuno games like you said earlier why is Bergwijn not on the pitch why is he waiting till that late to get a sniff it, it, it was infuriating and mm. I, I always caveat this type of thing with Conte's done enough and has enough credit in the bank with what he's done recently to always defer to his opinion on something. And he has insights we don't have. But as a spectator, it's absolutely bemusing. I saw a tweet that made me laugh. It said something along the lines of, you know, while Conte had COVID, they've been back into the catch-up. That's clearly the reason for all of this, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but on a similar note, I mean, jokes aside, Ellie, I think you mentioned the fact that they got a bit of a break, didn't they, after the last game? Conte gave them some time off. I think Kane was off in the States watching golf or something like that. And do you think that's just a coincidence that they've had a bad game after all being given a bit of a break and being told, hey, you know, you've earned this, go and relax? Or do you think we need to crack the whip a bit more? I think it's probably a coincidence, but hmm. I also think that it's horrendous timing that the second he yeah. gives them a couple of days off and lets Kane go off to watch the golf in America and gives them only three days worth of training ahead of a match instead of five, they mm. had their worst performance since January. Uh, it's probably a coincidence, but it's definitely awful timing from an optics perspective. And I'm pretty yeah. sure they won't have one minute off till uh, <laughs> yeah. till the end yeah. of May now. I suspect so. So uh, like you tweeted, does this prove that we are the Matt Doherty team? Well, um, <laughs> I think what it proves is that 
if we play a wing back formation, but we don't have um, a wing back on the pitch, yeah. then we're going to be a bit predictable. And that's exactly what we were yesterday. Well, I think that's probably enough about the Brighton game because, like we said, there were no highlights. There was one goal. We were terrible. It's not even a case of going going through each player and talking about them individually because just like we've had over the last few weeks where every player has been worthy of praise, I think every player is worthy of criticism almost in equal measures this time, isn't it? So uh, I think that's probably enough to talk about. But like I said earlier, it's, uh, it's always nice to rely on Arsenal bottling just as hard as us. They lost their game to Southampton, who just conceded something like 27 goals in their last game. What um, is more Spursy than being given a chance, an opportunity by <laughs> your rivals for position to yeah. catch up with them in the league and then go and blowing it against a team that just lost 6-0? Arsenal with Arsenal the most Spursy, Spursy moments Spurs. of the season. They are, they are more Spursy than Spurs. If nothing else but to compound the fact that nobody seems to really want to finish fourth, West Ham are currently losing at home to managerless Burnley. Are they? So, wow. so, and, and and Burnley have just missed a penalty as well. Yeah. Oh, wow. It could have been two. So this is bizarre. Absolutely this, bizarre. Nobody wants it. I'm not nervous. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> and United, it's worth, it's worth mentioning, United nearly threw away uh, the game against Norwich yeah. as well. Norwich got it back to two, old, two all at Old Trafford. Mm. Took another Pounded Ronaldo wrestling job. This is the thing, isn't it? We were saying how there's a clear gulf between the top two and everyone else. I think if you're going for the title and you lose a big game like this, it could be game over. You know, you might only get one mistake. We get more than one mistake, thankfully, because everyone else is just as bad as us. Dave, as the uh, supposedly impartial guy commenting on a a top four race that includes Manchester United, how do you see it playing out over the next few games? Because it's it's something got a bit more interesting. I think the North London derby is looking like it's going to have a lot more riding on it than we would have hoped. Man United managed to limp over the line against Norwich. They're now... What is it? Three points behind us on level games. Arsenal could draw level with us with worse goal difference. How do you see it playing out from here on out? The answer to that question seems to change every week. Well, nobody wants it, do they? I mean, you guys are you guys are Spurs. Um, we are so Spurs. Appears to be you know hit and miss dependent on what mood Mr. Ronaldo's in. Arsenal mm. are doing. I mean, you'll I'll hit you'll hate me for saying it, but they're doing similar things to what you're doing at the moment. To be honest, <laughs> in terms of just you know winning some games that they should be winning and then inexplicably losing a game that they should should have won. Uh, and mm. West Ham are losing to Burnley right now, uh, so you know it's um, I don't know. It's, it's what's the what's the word? It's a, it's like a shambles off. Who's going to be less of a shambles uh, rolling into fourth place at the end mm. of the season? There's um, always no reliable. I'd data still, if I had to put money on someone, I'd, I'd I'd still put it on you. I'm glad to hear that, Dave. Where we are, where we are right now, and I just Pricey. really don't want really don't want Man United. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we could have guessed that. Pricey, do you still make us favourites if you are bold enough to say it out loud for that fourth spot yeah. place? Is it still ours for the team? Yeah, you've, you've, you've got to. You've got to have the confidence, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we've lost, what, three three on the bounce now. Um, despite that blip, we've still got... Obviously, we'll come on to our next fixture, which isn't a walk in the park by any stretch of the imagination, but we've certainly got mm. easier fixtures. Um, United go away to Liverpool, Arsenal go away to Chelsea, going on form, what you would expect. But that's the thing, in the league at the moment, you can't expect anything. You wouldn't have expected Burnley to be 1-0 yeah. up at, at half-time. Form is irrelevant. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, But look, on, on paper, I think, given what we're building, the, the lack of distraction from European football as well, you know, it, ultimately West Ham are still in Europe and there will be enough distractions from some of those other teams as well as those schedules to, to hopefully mean that we 
gotten the edge and we've got the advantage. It's going to, the, the North London derby is going to be a massive game. I guess it's probably as good a time as any to just ask you generally, because obviously the last time you came on was right after the whole Nuno saga, right before we had Conte. We, we, I think we were recording as we were about 95% sure that we were about to hire Conte, hoping that we weren't, be, weren't about <laughs> to be made to look very silly, having lauded our new appointment. But it's been up and down, but on the whole, a lot of positive changes. In summary, what have you made of Spurs under Conte and how excited are you going forward off the back of it? Yeah, really, really excited. We're building something really exciting here at the club and I don't think I've been this excited since, I guess, kind of Pochettino really got into his second yeah. his second season. We, I think we were talking about kind of uh, Conte in the early days about this is what happens when you put a world-class manager in charge of a mediocre club. Um, <laughs> but actually, he's starting to show what you can do with a... We're, we're not mediocre. We're, we're on the better side of middle to average um but but it's these really exciting things are happening and um i I say about some of the points i made earlier what i really like about conte is he's building consistency um he's not shopping and changing things if things aren't necessarily working he's giving a group of players the confidence they can go out week in week out and turn around a result be really Mm. interesting to see how that evolves in the summer i mean i'm assuming we'll make kulisevsky permanent um given that he's got a really, really small, I guess, kind of um, transfer fee attached to that to that loan. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, say, where he strengthens the squad. But what I like about it is, again, he's putting those faith in players that are going in week in, week out to, to deliver those results. And um, yeah, but nothing yeah. but praise, obviously, Brighton aside. Go, go back two, three months ago, we probably would have taken, uh, I guess, kind of a, a fifth, sixth um, spot. But now the fact that we're, we're going into, mm. you know, the last few games as favourites for fourth. That's testament to, to what Conte's done with this club. I think you predicted that we'd finish seventh the last time you were on. Have you revised that prediction since then a little well, bit? Well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. Um, <laughs> our next games, you mentioned it. We'll get, let's get on to, to our next game. Almost guaranteed that Christian Eriksen will pop up with a goal or two when we play Brentford. That's that's written in the stars. I think we can we can accept that from now. So we better have our shooting boots on again by, by then. But in all seriousness... Um, Let's let's talk about the Brentford game and just the next couple of fixtures. They're one of these teams that are hard to predict this season, aren't they? Because they've been terrible and really, really difficult to play against, kind of almost on and off, haven't they, in, in, in some ways? More recently, since Ericsson's gone there, they've been on good form. But um, Dave, what have you made of Brentford, given that they're, you know, kind of near your end of the table? Uh, they're a decent team. Um, Thomas, completely uh, unnecessary, Thomas... I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, decent team. Thomas Frank's, uh, apart from the fact that he's freaking me out a little bit, he's, he's, he's clearly a decent manager. <laughs> Um, yeah. His hair, his hair is hiding some big, some big elven ears. Um, watch out for them when he gets a haircut. I suspect as and when. that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, they're a decent team. They rely heavily on a few key players. Not, uh, you know, obviously Ericsson is now one of them, but Tony, mm. uh, their striker, is a is is a key player for them as well, and their goalkeeper. But yeah, essentially, um, they are big players, and they were missing for a large period where their form just went out of a window. And now they're back, mm. and uh, and their form has picked up. Um, so I think um, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's a tough place to go because you know it's twenty thousand capacity, a new stadium sells out every week, and uh, it will be it will be absolutely buzzing on a on a five thirty Saturday kickoff. Um, yeah, welcoming you guys there, and uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to be easy at all. Now I don't mean I was well, I was confident you were going to yeah, that Conte would be manager of the month for, for April, but that's that's taken a big. A big blow to yeah. the side uh, yesterday, and I don't. And I'm a bit worried for you guys now. Uh, um, yeah, 
He'll have to do something pretty special to, to overcome that and, and uh, keep his hands on that particular award. Um, exactly. Eddie, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because I, when I looked at the fixtures and when we were talking about making comments along the lines of Conte manager of the month, you know, five wins, five games, I looked at the, this Brentford fixture as a bit of a, a tricky one potentially. I thought we were going to win against Brighton as I think most of us did. And I was thinking we're going to be coming off the back of a load of wins and this is the kind of game what happened yesterday could happen in very easily. I think this is the kind of game where it could be a tough atmosphere, crowd really up for it, players really going in and, and challenging us, you know, with a bit of physicality how do you see the game going is I it mean, the usual drill if we should beat them but every match in the premier league is the sort of match where after a good run of wins lose. and fixtures you can slip up and look very very silly Ole Solskjaer got sacked off the back of Manchester United getting hammered by Watford it's like Dave said it's why we like this this league who'd have thought <laughs> we'd have lost some of the matches we have lost uh, yeah. recently for instance like Southampton at Wolves all in the same period that we were beating Manchester City away and doing the double over them for instance so that <laughs> that is just this league I will say that I am absolutely delighted that Brentford got their last minute winner yesterday because I think that mm. probably that that means that they're safe essentially yeah. that none of the bottom three yeah. are getting thirty nine points. Um, obviously, Christian Eriksen assists uh, again. He's been an absolutely incredible signing for them, and uh, what happens with him in the summer will be very very interesting. Mm. But I'm going to give the same answer I've given about every fixture we've had recently. We've got the potential to screw it up. We've got the the ability to screw it up. Um, um, they're, they're very sort of tricky and they will make lives difficult for us in their own very special way. But I would be disappointed if we did anything other than beat Brentford next week because you look at our side and you look at theirs and you you there's a gulf. Um, you mm. They have a good manager. We have one of the top managers on the planet. If we don't win away to Brentford next week, having just had our slip-up moments at mm. home uh, yesterday to Brighton, then we, we don't deserve to get top four, period. Um, we, maybe we don't anyway, but you, you can forgive one, two in a row. Nah, I, I think just, just law of averages that this incarnation of Spurs, Conte's incarnation of Spurs, isn't going to let us down in this kind of fashion twice in a row it makes me feel more confident about next week's than I probably have about any of the past couple of games where you're always thinking this is going to be the game where Spurs revert to type. We reverted to type yesterday. It's out of our system. Let's blow the cobwebs off, win yeah. five of our last six, get fourth. That's what I say. I think last time I was on, we were talking about Nuno being a bit too nice and, and I, mm. I guess kind of not having that kind of ruthlessness, that cutting edge. There's no doubt that Conte will give them an absolute dressing down after that performance yesterday. Mm. And there's mm. no way that Kane's going to be jetting back off to America straight after a game <laughs> to, to go and watch the Masters. Yeah, so look, we, I, I, I'd agree. I think we should have every confidence they're going to come out there. And, and I, I think Brentford should probably be more worried about the response from Spurs than us being worried about, about Brentford. You know what? That I don't mean any of what I just said, and you're absolutely right. They should be more worried about our response than anything else. But I don't mean any disrespect to them. I think for years in the championship, I always thought, thought they were one of the best sides going there. I always, I've liked Tony for a few years now. I, I think that they they deserve to come up a couple of times when they didn't as well. So I think yep. they've got promoted as a Premier League quality side, despite having not been in the Premier League. They've got more than just a couple of players. They've got a couple of really, really good players, obviously, like Tony, like Mboema, like Ericsson. But people like Norgards, you, you wouldn't ever look at them and think, you're not a Premier League player, or, or Canos, for instance. So, uh, Or your old boy, Pontus, even. So, uh, yeah. 
Hmm. I like them, but don't think they'll beat us. They've got a great setup at, at Brentford, and 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 you're absolutely right, Elio. They have got really good players, and they've always managed to find these really good players that ultimately they've bought for pennies and sold for millions. You know, think of Ollie Watkins, uh, think Ben of Rama, all, uh, exactly. So Ben mm. Rama, uh, you know, these kind of players. Um, uh, Neil Malpe as well. Who yeah, we were talking about oh, yeah. Uh, last week. They have an ability to find great players, perform in the championship, and then and then they go up. They go up. They keep them like they did with Tony, uh, um, or they don't go up and they sell them for ten, maybe even fifteen times what they what they bought them for in the first place. So uh, incredible model, and uh, you kind of want to say, yeah, but they've got, they're a bus stop in Hounslow, and they uh, and, and they <laughs> and they've got a tiny little stadium, but they absolutely deserve to be in the Premier League. Great and. Uh, and, you know, I've got a few friends who are Brentford fans and they're all very nice people. So, you know. Yeah. Everybody loves Greg. Everybody loves Greg. It's always easy to like a team like that until they start doing a bit too well, isn't it? That's the problem. We don't want them to get too high up in the league and start well, challenging they beat, us. Well, but... they beat Leeds every time. So I, <laughs> yeah. Know, okay. I have plenty of reason to not like Brentford. We haven't beaten them at Brentford ever. No, that's... What's uh, the atmosphere like? You've, you've actually been to the Brentford I haven't stadium, been to the new you? stadium. Oh, okay. I haven't been to the new one. I've only been to um, Fortress Griffin Park. Which was always, which was always a, a buzzing atmosphere. So the um, home crowd are a good crowd. They're a loud um, crowd. Yeah, yeah, they're great. I must yeah. admit, I, when I, I mean, this was obviously a special situation, but I remember watching them on TV in the first game of the season against Arsenal when they were at home, and it was their first game back in the Premier League, and it looked terrifying. I was thinking, I remember thinking, imagine playing there now. The players must be thinking this is like we're in a war. The, the fans <laughs> were so up for it, and it seemed like such a good atmosphere. Obviously, it's not going to be like that every every week, but. Exactly. Definitely miss Fulham. Fulham was a nice place to go. You went, you got yeah. your three points. You you had <laughs> some good players from your seat. You had some nice camaraderie with the uh, <laughs> with the home fans who were quite grateful to have you there and said, "See you in two years when we're back up again." And, I hate uh, Chelsea. Brentford seems yeah. like it's going to be a completely different ball game. A few, few <laughs> pints by the river on the, at the crab tree afterwards. Lovely. Yeah. Though that away end is absolutely horrible sitting in the winter. You absolutely freeze right next to the Thames with the wind blowing well, straight in your now, face. It's all changed now that they've got oh, a huge, huge new stand there. Uh, I have not been in too long, obviously. It's funny, we were saying last week how on this podcast we should probably try and not go through the whole episode without talking about how wonderful harry kane is and we've done well mm. we haven't talked about how wonderful harry kane is once this episode so well done to us where are spurs going to be in eight nine ten years time do you think that we're kind of moving in the right direction that we could ever actually be challenging for trophies where do you see this group of young players going let's maybe not talk that far ahead because who has a foggiest idea but do you think that this core of players with this manager could have us challenging for titles or for trophies in the next few years you've got to even that we will be challenging for trophies that's why we've brought conte to the club um mm. and it's the one thing we've been chasing for decades now that i guess we've we've really kind of lacked looking at yeah. the current i guess kind of outfit at the top of the table are we going to be challenging for um the premier league in the next couple of years unlikely but then who would have ever would have said that Leicester would have won the league uh, arguably in a year when actually we could have quite comfortably or say comfortably could have could have been challenging you know much more closely for the title um look I think going back to the earlier point we were discussing it's it's really exciting what we're what we're building I think this season is really critical I think if we get back into Champions League and we can then maintain that top four positioning and that Champions League uh, I guess kind of year in year out that's going to then help with the recruitment it's going to help with the investment in the club uh, over the kind of new stadium hangover um, we'll be in a really good place there's no reason not to be optimistic looking at the current squad um, and in charge 
But when we are massively successful all these years from now, and you're taking your boy to the stadium, walking past the statue of Harry Kane, and telling him about the old days, you're not going to remember the hard times, are you? You're not going to forget about the dark past. You'll make sure that he's aware of the days of Nuno, of the days of Jose, of the days of <laughs> Jerry Francis and uh, and Christian Gross, and and having uh, and the days where we didn't have Matt Doherty, we had Gary Doherty, and and all those times, <laughs> right? You won't forget. Uh- <laughs> that's part that's part of what make, being a football fan that's part of the great thing about being a football fan isn't it i think success is only as good as what you've had to suffer getting up to that success uh, i always he, think of he, man united fans of our generation who have never known anything but just constant success i do wonder if they really enjoyed seeing all those trophies as much as we would if we won something now not to not Any to thoughts? turn this into a leads podcast that's kind of what the what the general positivity around there's a lot of um a lot of social media are kind of documenting limbs at the moment when there are goals <laughs> and scenes, as Jamie Carragher would yeah. say, and Leeds away fans. And the reason for that mm. is because they were at Hereford seven years ago and it was rubbish. Uh, exactly. And they're just thrilled to be back uh, in, in the Premier League. And, you know, if not, if not beating teams, at least, you know, cutting a few, cutting a few lips. Um, so, you know, mm. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good to see. And, and, and ultimately, you know, it is that levels thing, isn't it? And I do feel sorry for big teams who don't fill their quota of FA Cup semi-final tickets. It's it's quite sad, but mm. you know, um, yeah, we'll never get to an FA Cup semi-final, so I'm I'm fine with it. The the fickle, volatile nature of football, it's it's what keeps us coming back, isn't it? It's what makes it interesting. It'd be boring if it was always the same and it was always predictable. So you know, maybe it's moments like this that we have to be grateful for the times that make us feel horrible, and it makes the good times feel a little. Bit that's really clutching at straws. Shame on you taking <laughs> Gary Doherty's name in vain a moment ago. But your first, your first <laughs> FA first... Cup, so your first FA Cup semi-final. We lost two-one yep. to Arsenal. We went ahead. Who scored the goal? Was that a good memory though? Was that a good day? What was the outcome of that game? Yeah, I remind who, you. Who scored the one <laughs> FA Cup semi-final goal you saw in your childhood? That was fourteen-year-old Agus. Mr. Doherty, the original okay. Doherty Carlos. The, orig- yep. the original ginger, the ginger Pele. Pele. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? I, I apologize. I, I will to never, him. I will never criticize a player who put his body on the line for us. And the guy actually took broken legs in trying to play, uh, play well in defense for us. He couldn't play well in defense for us because he wasn't very good. But mm. I have a lot more time for him than some of the piss artists we've seen down the years. <laughs> so, so no, do not take the name Gary Doherty in vain. Ginger Pele, he may be. I'm not sure why that was the first name that came into my head. There are probably. At least a hundred I could have named that would have been just as reprehensible. But we'll uh, maybe save that for another podcast, shall we? We'll do our worst ever, our top 100 worst ever Spurs players or something along those lines. Moving on to Challenge Elio, which is our trivia game. Um, before we do, actually, let me just take this chance to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter. As always, please follow us at Plus Day Podcast and Instagram at the same at Plus Day Podcast. Also email us if you can at plusdaypodcast at gmail.com just to let us know your thoughts on all things Spurs, on the Brighton game if you haven't already blotted out of your mind, and of course into the run into the season. And, uh, and let us know where you think Spurs are going to be in 10 years' time. Who knows? Just go mad with it. Um, so yeah, Challenge Elio. Challenge Elio is our trivia round where we normally do a couple of questions. One of them or two of them are normally related to Spurs. Um, and sometimes there's a bit of a general football one. Been a while since your last Challenge Elio, isn't it, Pricey? Um, do you remember how that went? Elio was winning them every week. He was like... A... I-, I could have guessed Elio had won it, but do you remember what we talked about or what the questions were on? Do you remember Elio being an absolute font of 
as knowledge relating or pertaining well, I can assure you that has in no way um, changed. I th yeah, I think there was a question about the season where Conte was at Chelsea and we were second. It was something to do that. with goal, um, goal scorers because mm. um, Jermaine Defoe was one been. of the answers because he'd played for West Ham and Spurs. That's all there I can go. remember. There we go. Yeah. Well, as I did then, I generally try to create a bit of a theme mildly relevant to the week we've had or to the game to base Challenge Elio on. This week, I really didn't want to do that because I wanted to forget that this game even happened. So instead, um, I took the fact that you have a new young Spurs supporter in your life um, as a bit of a theme, and I'm going on the theme of young players this week, successful young players specifically. So we do have a Spurs question, and we also have a general football question here for the general football question i think i want to make it a penalty shootout round so pricey if you've been listening to the last few episodes you'll know that we've started including a question where everyone takes it in turns each team to try and name a player on a certain list and then as soon as you don't get one and the other one does just like penalties you're out game's over you win it doesn't stop elio from continuing to name all of the right answers on every occasion so we'll see how that plays out but that's the way that that game goes so for this game I have in front of me a list of all the players with the most goals in the Premier League by the age of 23. So we're talking about players that broke through early and scored a lot of goals. And I've got 20 of them on this list. I'd like you guys to go back and forth and try and name a player that appears on this list and see how far we can get in before someone misses. So the big question is, who gets to go first? I think Pricey, as a returning guest, it's only fair that Team Double Dave gets the first stab at this. What do you think, Elio? Is that fair? Will you accept I'm that? I'm happy. I will accept that. Okay. So Here we go. Let's... Um, really any player under 23... Yeah, we've, we've got the, the players who had scored the most goals in the Premier League by the age of 23, so it includes... Yeah, I'm guessing they're not under 23 anymore. No, no, no. no. Well, most of them. Anyway. No, no, no. We're talking about at the time. So, the most players, 23 go, or younger. Yeah, let, let you go first. At the time. And, uh, Wayne Rooney. Get knocked out. Wayne Rooney is on the list. Very good. He is in third place. And well done for taking one of the Man United ones away from Dave, so he didn't have to say it. He had 44 goals by the age of 23. He's in third place on the list. So, Elio, over to you. Michael Owen. Michael Owen is number two in the list with 55 goals before his 24th birthday. Back to Team Dave. There are 20 to L. 18 left to aim for. What are you thinking, Dave? As easy as you might think. I've only got one other written down. Yeah? Which is scary. You don't have to give um, me a formal answer. You can confer between each other or you can text each other suggested answers like you were doing with Joey last week. So you don't yeah, give Elio any freebies. Might, 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 re might resort to that. Grab my phone. It might be a WhatsApp um, job. I've got to go with this one first, though. But what I mean I is if you shout out a name right. and the other Dave disagrees emphatically, then you can quickly <laughs> jump in and stop that being your final answer because this is a penalty shootout, remember? You've got to make sure it lands. It's fine. Rogue. It's all fine. Actually, <laughs> <Isn't> <laughs> your suggestion is rogue. All right, let's go it. for Robbie Fowler. It's not as rogue as you may think, because he's top of the list. Okay. He had 64 goals by the age of 23. He's the top under 23 goals. When was he, when was he snorting history. the uh, goal line. yard line? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He must have been probably, under 23. Probably after one of those Idiot. goals, Dave, I imagine. Uh, so that's yeah. the top three out of the way. So there's the low-hanging fruit. There's the easy ones. Back to Elio. I can't imagine, given that almost everything he did for us was by the age of 23, that Deli Ali is not on this list. So I'm going to go with Deli Ali. Deli Ali is correct. He had 26 goals by that age, and he is joint sixth on the list. Back to you guys. Oh. Pressure's on. We've had all the really obvious ones. I, have, promise, I, I have to going. battle with a lack of lack of sleep brain. We don't like excuses, get the excuses on the show, Get the excuses um, in. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's stick with, we're sticking with Spurs players. I mean, you surely assume that person is on the list. I have a feeling I know who this person is, but let's see. Yeah, yeah, he's usually an answer. Harry Kane. 
Harry Kane. Of course he's on the list. He is on the list, yeah. yeah. He got over 20 Premier League goals in each of his first three seasons after he broke through. No, he's on the list. It's just I, I don't have a number written down for how many goals it is, but he is there. That's weird. Yep. I only Elio? thought it would be he looked like he was like 26 when he was playing for Leicester. <laughs> to you, Elio? I'm distracted by the sound of typing, so that's going to be my excuse if I get this Oh, one. is that is that what that was? I was wondering what that was. <laughs> that's pricey typing the answer to me. Uh, I'm going to go based on with Lukaku. Lukaku is number four on the list with 32 goals. Okay. I'm now trying to find how many goals Kane has scored while you're going through your answers. So it's back over to Team Dave. Gonna go for it, Pricey. I'm happy with it. Yeah, because I I think quite prolific in his earlier uh, his former club when he was very young, and that's why he got the big money move. Um, we're gonna say Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling so. is not on my oh, list. Oh, sorry, Dave. No, Ooh. he is. Cheers, <laughs> <Hey. laughs> Dags. This is going as smoothly as ever. Raheem Sterling's number eleven <laughs> with twenty two goals. So I'm distracted by trying to find out on Harry Kane here and why I haven't got a number. In it. So he He's scored great. ten. He scored one league goal in 2012-13, ten league goals in 2013-14, and, and then, then 21 the season after. No, that's sorry, sorry. all competitions. Right. 21. Yeah, he so, went one, yeah. then three, then 21, then 25, then 29. So he was under 23 by that point, wasn't he? He was under yeah. 23 just yeah. about at the end of his third proper breakthrough season, at which point he'd scored about 70 goals in the previous three. Yeah, this is nice getting Elio yeah. fighting our battles for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. There we go. It's more standing up for Harry Kane as much as anything else in the face of Dagus's stat hunting uh, mm. and the shenanigans that uh, come with this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I prepared this one even later than usual, about enough, having okay. just woken up, basically. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think I know who I want to say, but I'm just trying to remember how old he would have been when we signed him. We got him in January of Oath. I may get, I may be knocked out on this one, but I think Jermaine Defoe. Jermaine Defoe is joint 15th on my list with 18 goals. Back to you guys. I just got the green light from Pricey to say Robin Van Persie. Pricey, do you accept that as an answer? That's acceptable. Well, I can tell you. Uh, well, I'm not sure I, if it's acceptable. But. I do not accept your answer because it is not on my list, oh. I'm afraid. Ah. There is no Robin no Van Persie, which means, given that you went first, Elio has a chance to win if he can name one with his next guess. If he doesn't, we keep going. I'm trying to think if his six months in Italy would have put paid to this and if he was too old. Dave knows who I'm thinking of, I reckon, as well. I'm going to go with it. Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane is number 12 on the list with 21 goals. Very good. And Elliot wins <sighs> again. Very I'm not going to try and name the rest on this occasion. I'm going to leave that one there. I will read them through. The ones we've missed so far are Chris Sutton with 29, interestingly. Emil Heskey with 26. Joint with Deli Ali. Nicholas Anelka. Ryan Giggs. Alan Smith. Uh, Francis Jeffers. Collins John. Nick Barnby. John. There's quite a few Spurs and Leeds on this. Kevin Gellin. right? I can tell you. Yeah. I, I, I think he Collins was, um, was Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah. I remember. Um... Chris Bart Williams, Cesc Fabregas, and Cristiano Ronaldo with a mere 14 goals right down at the bottom of this. Pathetic. Yeah, terrible player. Uh, So yeah, that's that question. On to the Spurs question. So Elio's won the non-Spurs one. So how do you guys fancy your chances of winning the Spurs one? I just want it to be over. (laughs) Basically the same again. We're not going to do penalties on this one because it's a bit trickier, but the same again. We're going to try and name a list of players. I have in front of me a list of, hopefully a correct list of, 10 players who... (laughs) either were playing for Spurs at the time or have played for Spurs, who have won the PFA Young Player of the Year, uh, which started in 1973-74, for context. Uh, and I'll let you guys try and name them all. And for a bonus point, Dave, I'm not going to give Eddie a chance for a bonus point because he doesn't need one. Can you name the one Leeds player 
who at the time were playing for Leeds, won Young Player of the Year? Uh, 99-2000? Yeah, I can, but I, I don't want to say his name. You don't want to? Fair enough. He's a prick. I, that tells me that I think you're probably correct. Harry Kuehl, 99-2000. So, back to the actual quiz. Uh, Elio, you can go first this time, seeing as they went first last time. Who has won Young Player of the Year, either playing for Spurs or someone who has played for Spurs? And this goes back to when? 74, did this you say? This goes back to 73-74 season, yeah. All right. Uh, there's 10 of them, did you say? I believe so. All right. Well... I'll go with the most recent there's 10 awards. One. one player's won it twice. So there's 10, there's nine players, 10 awards. I think you'll find two have won it twice. But yeah. uh, I'm going to go Let's with Delhi. Again. I'm going to go with Delhi Alley. Who has won it twice in 15, 16, and 16, 17. Two consecutive young player of the years. Very good. Delhi Alley appears again. Back to Team Dave. If you're wrong, you don't immediately lose, by the way. We're going to keep going for a bit more. Probably got to go with the other name that was on the last <laughs> list, which is Harry Kane. Harry Kane would be correct in 14-15 he was Young Player of the Year according to my very reliable source which is Wikipedia I'm going to go with the other player that has won it twice but while playing for us both times as well yeah. on Gareth Bale so I have Gareth Bale on the list but I've only got him down once he won in it 12, in 13. consecutive is that are you sure about that are you sure he didn't he win won. Player of the Year one year he was definitely the PFA year. Young Player of the he Year won, he won PFA Player of the Year in 12-13 thir- in he won Young Player in 09-10 and in 10-11 you know what? I'm wrong. Yeah? I'm, <laughs> I think you are. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I understand why you think I was wrong, because I'm so often wrong, and I've been wrong already once in this very quiz, so I understand. Even so, Gareth Bale did win it. Either way, Gareth Bale's a correct answer, and you're right, and it goes back to the other guys. Are you going to be able to, uh, smi- to uh, snip the, you know what? I'm wrong, and turn that into some kind of ringtone, <laughs> intro theme, <laughs> outro <pressing>. theme? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Who's your next guest, guys? It's getting a bit tricky, you know. Dave, go for it. I'm I'm running out of ideas. So. Okay, I'll go with use my Spurs knowledge and go yeah. with a former Leeds player, Nick yeah. Barnby. It's not there actually. Surprised me. I thought <sighs> would have been a good guess, but no, no Nick Barnby. Elio, any guess? I was going to say him as my guest just now, so I'm so glad you did. Hmm. Um, You're welcome. Remember, it's not players necessarily who were playing for Spurs at the time. Yeah, yeah, players I get that it. have played for Spurs. Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle is correct. In 79-80, he was PFA Young Player of the Year. One of the early ones. And it goes back over to Team Dave. I think... I don't mean, Dave, face a minute ago, Pricey, like you might have one. The problem, no, Dave, Dave's doing all the heavy lifting here. Um, <laughs> I, think Darren, I think Darren Anderton is solid. You going for Darren Anderton? We'll go with Darren Anderton. I mean, well, he's always here. a guess, it'd be weird. It? It'd be weird that when Joe's here, correct answer. he's not on the list, I'm afraid. There's no Darren Anderton. Elio, do you have any ideas? Not while he played for us, but did Scott Parker win it? Very good. He did in 0304 while he was playing for two teams across the year, Charlton and yeah. Chelsea. Scott Parker was young player well, of the year. playing for Charlton. He didn't actually appear for Chelsea much. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, Dave's. One wonders why with Essien and Makaleli and Lampard in midfield. <laughs> so I think I've remembered one. Yeah. Which is Kyle Walker. Very good. Kyle Walker did. Nice. While playing for us, no less, in 11-12. So we now have three left. One of which I don't think anyone will get, but I've said that before and Elio's proved me wrong. Um, the other two, fairly well known. I suspect you should have a chance. So Elio, any guesses? We don't have to go to the bitter end on this one if you guys all give up, but I know you don't like admitting <laughs> defeat readily. I do not. And we do have still, we still do have the who am I? The who am I? The who am I game <laughs> to come. <laughs> that's not a clue it's not someone called Hugh we've had Delhi. we've had Kane we've had Bale Hoddle Parker Walker yeah yep I will eventually give you the years if you need them I mean if it's pre-90s then oh we signed him as um, as a winner of it but he didn't win it with us Jermaine Genus 
Very good. I only remembered that because I was talking about him with socks earlier on the way home. Hmm. Very good. That was in 0203 while he was at Newcastle. Young Why were you talking about Jermaine Genius? We were talking about <laughs> players. Had a terrible to Spurs do. performance. <laughs> we were talking Spurs about players, players who, if they played under more recent incarnations of Spurs, would have probably done a lot better for us than they did in the time they were at us. Aaron Lennon also came up in that conversation. Would you take Genius over Wink? I would take you after this <laughs> up over Harry Winks. Team Dave, any any ideas on the final two? There's one I'd very much doubt you'll get, and there's one that I think you could. Great, Dave. Which one? They're showing off. All He's of got them. two two teed up. All of them. Um, pundit, you go. You, you go with the pundit. Yeah, me red now. <laughs> no, it's not a bad guess though. He was a good young player, but no, Elio, any guess? Really I'm also going to go for an old number eight. Only because I can't imagine he didn't win it, given Keeping that he was already suspense. the best player in the world when we signed him, pretty much. Mm, think you're Paul Gascoigne. Paul Gascoigne is the right answer. In 87-88, while playing for Newcastle. So that's two Newcastle players that went to Spurs after winning PFA Player of the Year. And the last one, I'm not going to get you guys to guess, because I don't think you'll think of him in a long time. But I can tell you, Elio, that it was in 83-84, and he was can playing for Can you give me Luton. some clubs who's... He was playing for Luton when he won. Young Player of the Year. This Any is, other clubs he's played for? Um, I will have. To, this is a clue in itself. If I, when I tell you that, I have to look him up on Wikipedia to tell you the answer to that. I <laughs> almost missed him. I saw the name and I thought, I swear he played for us. He played for us between eighty-eight and ninety-two, making one hundred and twenty-eight appearances. We signed him from Liverpool. This is a mini. Who am I to round up? We signed him from Liverpool. Yeah, in nineteen eighty-eight. Did he play in our FA Cup winning team in ninety-one? He did, I believe. Although it says he was on loan to QPR in 91, so maybe not. Who knows? I don't know. But you're all on the right I, track. The only two players I can think of that would have signed from Liverpool anywhere around sort of early 90s are Israel's finest, which I'm pretty nope. sure isn't the answer. <laughs> it was not Ronnie Rosen's <laughs> up, no. And, um, I'd love it if it was, but it wasn't. <laughs> and ex-Sky Sports pundit Paul Walsh, who I don't think ever did much for us, but I can't Paul imagine Walsh? he ever won Young Player of the Year. Here's the right answer. It was, oh, really? Paul, it was Paul Walsh. Very good. Very good. Yeah, Paul Walsh. That's it. Rounding off the list. Lovely hair. I assume I probably missed some, but that's that's just. Well, technically, I didn't actually give him as an answer. I just said I I can't imagine he. So you don't have to give me that point if you don't want to. I still won. (laughs) I have no words. I'm going to move on to the Who Am I game, guys. Come on, this 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 is Dave's favorite part. So I mean, Elio's already won. I think so. This is just playing for pride now. But you can win on you can leave on a high anyway. So Who Am I? I'm going to give a load of clues about a current Oryx Spurs player. And the guys will take it in turns to guess who I'm talking about. I am five foot ten, which will immediately narrow it down. Five foot ten, eh? Any guess, guys? It's, it's over to those guys first now. Pass? Yes, any guess? No, it's not Jermaine Defoe. I imagine he's, he's not shorter than five foot ten. He's yeah, a he's good few seven. inches lower than that. Elio, your clue? I've played for one other English club. New listeners will know that Elio always guesses whether he has anything discernible to go on or not. One other English club. It's actually quite hard. Is it? Good. I'm glad I've made it difficult for you. <laughs> um, Maybe you won't get it in two guesses this time. We've already had Gary Mabber recently, so we I have. won't go with him. David Howells? Not David Howells. Next clue. I have won four league titles. Ooh. Better clue. Um, I reckon Michael Carrick. It's a good that guess. Is, Probably won more three. than four, but it's not him. He's played for three English clubs as well, yeah. It is not Michael Carrick. Next clue. I have played in an international semi-final of a major tournament, I should say. Not of, like, the Nations League or something. Any guesses, Elio? You didn't specify whether it was Premier League titles when you said Premier League titles. So I'm going to have 
I guess. Uh, it's Victor Wanyama. It's not Victor Wanyama. In my first professional season, I won my league's Talent of the Year award. Team Dave, any ideas? Oh, nothing from me. Is that a pass? Yep. Elio, your clue. I was the youngest player at the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. Carrying on with the young players team here, you see. 2010 World Cup South Africa. One is Leeds. I hope you're writing down the clues. Anyone? Christian Eriksen. That's the right answer. Very good. It's Christian Eriksen. Well done. Very good. Play for one other English club. He's playing for them now. We talked about them earlier. We talked about him earlier. Uh, Four league titles. Three of them were with Ajax. And the one was obviously in Italy, Serie A. The next clue was going to be two of my former managers while not at Spurs, have also managed Spurs. And they are? Martin Yol. Yeah, at Ajax. And, oh, Conte, obviously. And Conte, and Conte, of course, yeah. Uh, other clues were going to <sighs> be, and obviously, yeah, the international semi-final was against England um, in the Euros. And Johan Cruyff once compared me to Michael Laudrup. It's a nice one there. I scored for Spurs in a League Cup semi-final. Elio, can you remember that one? I mean, we always lose and then I <laughs> yeah. drink, drink them out of my memory, but I, I'll hazard a guess at Chelsea. No, it was it was actually in 2015 before losing to Chelsea in the final. So that wasn't actually Brentford, was it? No, Sheffield United. Because we, we, we beat Brentford in a semi-final. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well. Thank um, you. And the final clue. I don't know if this would have given it away, Elio. I set up the first ever goal at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for Human Son in Wouldn't 2019. Yeah, well, there you go, Kristen Eriksson. Very good. I need to, I need to put my game podcast up. in the I bag, guys. I haven't got anywhere near this for. A, you for haven't a good won few in a while, weeks. Dave. I feel like I introduced this round every week, saying it's your favourite game. Because yeah, you're so maybe you should it, stop doing you need that. To start backing that up. Maybe <laughs> in a similar way that maybe. you you go to Spurs games and they lose. Yeah. Maybe you should stop saying that mm. I'm good at this. You're a curse on mankind, Dagus. <laughs> I'm I'm a curse on Dave. I'm a curse on Spurs. I'm I'm feel really bad about myself at the moment. But that Thanks is another episode in the bag. That's that's episode thirty, guys. So um, Price, you're here for a milestone one. Have you listened to all of our episodes? By the way, you can say no. Uh, I think no. you're very busy these days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can listen to this one. I listen to most of them, but then where where the commute allows. Uh... Yeah. Fair enough. You're yeah. a very busy man. Have less, less time. You, less you time work very hard days. and you have a small human that you're responsible for. So I, I imagine understand. I imagine that the few times in a day where you're not listening to the sound of a screaming child, you're just <laughs> getting silence wherever you can find it and cherishing <laughs> it as much as you can. <laughs> Too right. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Well, I hope you've enjoyed your return and I hope it won't be that long until we get you on the show again because it's been a pleasure having you back. And let's hope the next time you come back, we're actually talking about a good result because you've had a pretty bad record with uh, the games you've had to look back on. So let's hope you actually have a nice win to look back on them. But uh, any closing thoughts on on this weekend or on Spurs or on the future and what it holds before we wrap things up? From you first, Price. Thank you for um, having me back on. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been good. Um, and excited for... Excited for the run-in. Um, look, my game's in a short space of time and um, there's a, a lot to look forward to and hopefully Champions League next year. Can I still have your ticket to the North London derby? No! Elio lets me go. Yeah. Let's see how we're doing by then, yeah, shall we? Uh, Dave, Elio, any final thoughts before we get on with our day? I am worried. I'm worried that Ericsson will strike you guys. Not to, not to end this on a sour one, but... We've literally just been talking about him as well. So you couldn't have teed it any better. As if I wasn't already enough of a curse. I've, yeah, I've had to go and do that. Doom over there. Um, Elio, is there a small part of you that would be happy if we win the game, but Christian Eriksen scores while we're already in a comfortable lead? Yeah, absolutely. 
I think that's a good note to end it on. Brilliant. Well, guys, as always, <laughs> thank you very much. Let's hope I haven't cursed any more than I already have. And let's hope next week we're going to have a slightly cheerier podcast and we're going to get back to winning ways. So I hope all of you join us again for that. And until then, you stay classy, Spurs fans, and we'll see you next week. Here's Deli Alley. Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it! They've done it! They've done it!